episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 74. This week I catch up with Daniel Marinovic, and he's building a 68 long wheelbase C10. He's done a right-hand drive conversion. This build's going for, been going for quite a while, and uh, you'll hear about that in the episode. We have a good chat about it, so... Really good to catch up with Daniel. Um, he touched base with me in the past uh, quite a while ago and just sort of, you know, appreciating the podcast and giving me a bit of feedback. And it was good to sort of touch base and, and get him on board. So really good to do that. And that's something I wanted to really just shout out to everyone. I know that it would seem quite Chev heavy on this podcast. And, you know, it's hard to make excuses for that. It's harder and harder to find guys. I, I contact so many people to come on the podcast and, and just a lot of people don't want to know about it. And for some reason, uh, that tends to be more of the international and Dodge guys who, you know, they just enjoy building them, but they really want to talk about it. And that's fair enough. But I really would love for you guys to help me out so that we can get more good content on the podcast is... If you know somebody who's built a Ford or a Dodge or an Inter or a Studebaker or a Bedford or a Morris or whatever it is, something that's not a Chev, um, you know, get in contact with them or get in contact with me with their details and I'd love to get them on the podcast. It's it's not for want of trying um, that we don't have more of these guys on board, but it just tends to be, you know, I reach out to to five people uh two of them are probably building chevs and the two chev guys always just say yes so maybe um i don't know what it is all about but time for you guys to help me out uh if you want more content i know we've had a bit of a gap again between episodes and you know part of that's that i'm busy part of it's that i try and line things up and they don't work out sometimes but uh it can be tough to to try and mix it up so bit of a a reach out for you guys to help us out there so um and on that i wanted to say a big thank you again to all our patreon supporters um definitely get a little bit of a payment each month into our account which helps to pay for the hosting of the podcast and for this software that we use for recording to try and get you better quality audios so big shout out and thank you to all these guys who are patreon supporters and uh, if you're interested in, in getting involved and, and supporting us, I mean, it doesn't take much. I've mentioned this a few times, but even five bucks a month, um, if enough people give me five bucks a month because they enjoy the content, then that helps me to pay for things like hosting and, and getting up to a truck show and, and doing some coverage. So if you love a podcast and you enjoy it, uh, please give that some consideration. You'll have to go to, uh, I think it's Patreon. I'd have to have a good look, but, uh, 
there's some links in the show notes and on our website. And if you just did a bit of a Patreon search for Classic Pickup Podcast, you'd find some information there. Now, coming up soon, obviously, uh, is the truck show that I'm sort of got going for you guys up in uh, Tabletop here in New South Wales, which um, if you don't really know what that is, it's basically Aubrey. It's about 10 minutes north of Aubrey on the Hume Highway. It's the Edamoga Pub. And we've spoken about this a few times, but I'd love for you guys to spread the word. I'd love for you, if you're definitely coming down and you haven't done so yet, if you could just get on the uh, Classic Pickup Podcast website and just look at the events tab and just spend five minutes and just register for me. Um, It's a lot harder. You know, if, if... everyone turns up and 100 people turn up and i've got no extra catering because only 20 people registered that's not my fault guys you know so help me out if you're coming please register uh make my life a little bit easier as far as trying to make sure that we've got everything catered for but i mean there's food there but it would be nice to get an extra caterer on board but i'm not going to organize that if if i don't have enough support um that i know that's coming so help me out if you're coming and you haven't done it please just get on there and register that'd be great Spread the word. Uh, so it's the uh, it's the Thursday before it's it's Cup weekend. So it's the Thursday before the Bright and Mulwala Rod runs. We've spoken about this a little bit in the past, but please um, please come. I mean, even if you haven't registered, come. Obviously, as many trucks as we can get there, the better. Uh, get a bit of a showing for this first one, and then next year when when we know you guys are keen and, and we've had a bit of involvement, we can do more and more and make it a bigger show. But be good just to get this first one done uh get all you guys together so it'd be great and that's about it for me for yabbering on but uh thanks guys for listening and supporting the podcast it's really good to to get your feedback and i enjoy you know receiving messages and emails so keep them coming so without any further ado uh episode 74 daniel marinovic i uh, had a good chat with daniel the audio is a little bit up and down but uh, i think it's a pretty good episode all in all so Please enjoy, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, guys. Daniel, thanks for joining us on the podcast, mate. Um, really good to to have a chat. I've been dragging the chains. been a little while since we put the last one out, and uh, so definitely good to touch base with another builder. And I know your truck's not finished yet, but uh, you know, you, you're you actually doing a lot of things similar to what I'm doing at the moment. So I think this is going to be a good chat, but welcome to the podcast, mate. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, it's been good to finally be a part of it. I've been on the other end of just listening, and now it's come time i got the inbox and it's time to share my little story so i guess we'll go from there yeah absolutely and um you know as, as we always do what, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your um your background with vehicles you know is, was your old man a car guy or you know what sort of first turned your eyes and, and made you think about stuff like this um i guess i kind of was in the blood um Grew up around the truck kind of industry. My grandfather and my dad um, had semi-trailers, used to cart coal in the Illawarra down here, pretty much from the 80s through. So while I was growing up, that was kind of my little introduction to get the oil and fuel into the uh, bloodstream. And then it kind of just took on from there. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, they were driving big rigs. What, what, what would your dad have been driving as a daily? It was a... Well, how it all came about, how my dad got dragged into it. Uh, my grandfather lost his license and he was uh, um, raising three kids on his own. So my dad, when he hit 18, or even before then, he was driving out a license, <laughs> just trying to put uh, 
food on the table and um, he ended up getting brought a 1983 Kenworth W model. And then um, that became his truck and that's what he was stuck behind the wheel. So pretty much just drove that. Didn't really have a car because they work around the clock. They shared the trucks um, and the yard was at the house. So next door to our house was the truck yard where they were kept and all the maintenance was done in house. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so, you know, driving coal, so they were, what were they going to Newcastle to the port and just bringing it from there or? Nah, most of it was just local stuff. Um, so yeah. there was a place, South Bulli, which ran to the harbour. And then um, we got Westcliff Colliery, which is up the mountain. I'm not too sure if you're familiar. There's a decent hill that comes down to Wollongong, Mount Oosley. They just cart up and down there. They used to go out to like Coalcliff and stuff along that sea, obviously before the Seacliff Bridge was there. But most of it was local. And then um, when that dried up, I used to do grain and go out west. So I did a couple of trips when I was young on school holidays, just <laughs> sleeping in the bunk with my old boy. <laughs> Just kind of, yeah, had no no choice, I guess. My dad was just so flat out working that. We didn't really have much other time to do anything. Yeah, right. And then, um, you know, when you sort of got to 16, 18 and, you know, when did when would you have first driven a car or, or slash truck? Would you Did you do that fairly young like a lot of kids did in our day? Yeah, I probably wouldn't say like I never really drove like without a license so to speak but once I could get meals you know I went out there dragged my mum there took me for drives brought a manual car because at the time my dad was lazy (laughs) was sick of shifting gears through the day so he just had an order and I always wanted to drive a manual so I went out and brought my own car and that was a (laughs) shitty little Ford Laser TX3 thing little buzz box (laughs) and it kind of took off from there I can just imagine your dad after spending all day with a crash box, not oh. <laughs> drive around town changing nah, gears. Let alone getting a car to take me for a drive to teach me anything. So I was kind of self-taught to drive a manual because me mum always drove an auto, <laughs> never drove manual. So it's kind of jump in and have a go. But I guess it's, I used to ride dirt bikes when I was young. So it was very similar, the whole clutch and gears system, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny you say that because um, I think part of the reason that I haven't been putting out as many podcasts recently is because I've, um, in the last couple of years, just got hooked on the dirt bikes, which, you know, I, I rode a little bit on the farm, but they were just ag bikes and never really took it seriously. But um, yeah, I'm sort of riding a two-stroke 300 at the moment and really learning. The bike. <laughs> I don't think I've, yeah, and, and it's funny because... I, Learning how to use the clutch properly on the bike. Um, spe- I ride hard enduro stuff, so quite slow and um, you know really relying on the on the engine and and low gear sort of stuff. And and I feel like it's improved even my vehicle driving clutch work because I never, I don't think I've ever used the clutch quite as much in a car is what obviously what you do um, when you're doing sort of that slow single track style riding. And yeah, it's been fun to actually drive my Land Cruiser around and, and play around the clutch a little bit differently what to what I've always done, which has been um, Yeah, nice. Mm. So, um, but yeah, clutch is uh, not a cheap thing to replace. Nah. 
<laughs> Definitely not. Uh, so, yeah, man, I had some lasers in my time. I had a KA and a KB laser. They were just a good, cheap runabout. But um, what, was, what was the next sort of cars that you you getting anything cool? Oh, I don't know about cool. Maybe cool at the time. I've had went through a lot of cars. Um, the next thing I kind of persuaded to buy after that was a Holden Rodeo where I kind of got the bug for the whole mini truck scene, which obviously led later on into the big trucks. Um, I left school and I was on the track to want to become a carpenter. So I kind of said to my parents, oh, this would be a good idea. In the back of my head, it was buy this to build a mini truck, but I I sold it to them as I'm going to be a carpenter. This thing would be so handy. <laughs> Dual cab ute. It's got the tray. It's got the bull bar, the canopy. Mind you, they were the first things that came off <laughs> and sold off just to get some funds to do the first things and just lower it as far as I could. And then it just snowboarded from there, really. So did you end up bagging that and body dropping it and doing all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, initially, like, it only just got me peas, so... I kind of made a mess of it and hit it with a rattle can and yeah, absolutely killed it. But then I, I lowered it that much. It was just pin diff on chassis. And I used to drive to Shalaba Tay from my house, which was probably like oh, 30, 40 minutes. Um, and I used to do block release for TAFE. And it just became so painful driving on the freeway, diff on chassis. I ended up notching it, not getting the engine in, just running the gauntlet until they had a... um big blitz in Wollongong because used to get a lot of people come down from Sydney doing car cruises and causing havoc around the lighthouse so they run a blitz um end up getting wheeled in by the RMS and red labeled and left it there and (laughs) then end up just going home and sitting in the shed for ages then it kind of just took off I pulled the cab off and bagged the chassis and then obviously never got an engineer on board um, and then kind of just lost interest in it and it just sat in the shed forever and then sold it off for, I think I sold it like a year or two back for like a thousand bucks and it was, had tube front arms bagged all around, obviously didn't have any air gear except the bags that were in it and just teed up to some, um, like a ball valve, but I mean, it had 20 inch wheels on it, chop shop tube upper arm, so it was more than a thousand bucks worth, but I sold it to some young kid that wanted to do a project with his dad, and I was like, "Well, perfect. It's a thousand bucks, even if you <laughs> don't follow through with it. It was bug rule to lay up at at the start." And did Alfie ever got it on the road? Um, I'm not sure. I was following him on like Facebook, but I can't. He kind of like just disappeared. I don't know what happened there, but um, I'm sure I would end up popping up at some stage. Yeah. Cool. And, and so, are you a carpenter? Is that what you ended up doing? No. <laughs> no. Goes back to, um, so I left school and got stuffed around with an apprenticeship and then family friend, um, their, their family friend um, was looking for an apprentice mechanic and it, I was just like, oh, I'll just take it. My dad was always in me. You don't want to do that. <laughs> like it's shit pay you're always filthy and blah 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 obviously because just what he'd been through and i said you know what yeah. i'm just taking it and then yeah i took it and i kind of wish i never took it because <laughs> sometimes it just takes the passion out of working on your own thing yeah it's hard when you're um yeah you're doing that stuff all day and to get home and 
put a few extra hours yeah. in. Yeah. Oh, well, life goes on, I guess. Yeah, that's it. Well, at least, you know, you, you got the skills to save yourself a bit of money on it. Yeah. So when when did the um, the idea of uh, of buying a classic pickup sort of was that something that just happened one drunken night on eBay or was this a, a planned out purchase? It was semi planned, I reckon. <laughs> it's probably like twenty cars in, and I brought it probably like eight years ago. So I was in my early twenties. Um, always liked classic stuff. My grandfather kind of got into it. He had a um, 1958 Chrysler New Yorker soft top two door convertible, which is like rare as. And he's had he had that for a while, and he's only just recently sold it. Um, and then he had a 1959 DeSoto. So I've always kind of been around that stuff. My uncle had a um, two door Dodge Phoenix 1960, which then me and my dad end up kind of buying into one together, and he's still got that now. But I kind of just once I could accumulate the money to buy something that was classic that was kind of in my price range at the time um i started looking at full-size trucks because obviously i was in the tr- mini truck scene and i kind of liked the whole ute thing um and at the time there was a truck i don't know if it was from up queensland way but he um it was like maybe the 6970 shape c10 used to have the plates A to Z. It was like a burgundy kind of red long bed. Um, seen that at a show or two, and I kind of just fell in love with the whole chev shape. And, yeah, that's when I just started looking. Um, came down to, like, getting impatient, and then there was two that I was to pick from. One was the truck that obviously followed through with the 68 C10 long bed. Um, and the other one was a – it was like would have been a mid-'80s short base – f-150 or f-100 but it had an ls swap which i was kind of sold on or you know what hard work's kind of done and then i was in two minds of but it's one it's a ford and it had an ls in it i was a bit like oh don't know about that <laughs> i might take, might take the the hard option and that's kind of what happened i teed up to go have a look at this truck that was up like the new area um it been imported and then the guy I brought it from brought it probably like four months after it was imported. Um, it was bagged from the States. You can only imagine what kind of job it was going back eight years ago or so and who knows how long before that was bagged, but it was it was rough. Um, but it looked cool. <laughs> and when it was aired out it was at a decent height and I drove up there by myself without anyone knowing because my um, girlfriend at the time and my mum, if they knew I was going to look at another car, they would have flipped out. <laughs> but, yeah, that's kind of what happened. I went and looked at it, fell in love with it, then teed up the guy that I'd buy it, transferred him a deposit, um, and I'm like, yeah, I want this truck, but I'm not going to be able to get it down here. <laughs> without asking for help from someone that doesn't want me to buy it. So he ended up offering to um, bring it down on a trailer for me, which was good. I guess it was a win-win. He got rid of it and I got it. Yeah, so what was that, like eight years ago, you reckon? Yeah, I only was flicking through papers the other day. I think it was like 2015 or something, 2014. So it would be coming up to eight years. 
painful, I know. And then, <laughs> so did you drive it for a little while before you started to tear down or did you just kind of get into it? I drove it probably like, I'm not going to lie, 50 metres up the road to do a U-turn to bring it from one side of the road to the other. Just happened to be... He pulled it off the trailer, turned it off, you know, I gave him the cash, he left, and I'm like, I better bring this in. Go out the front, starts raining, trying to start the truck, doesn't start. Starter motor's <laughs> given up on me. It's just, yeah, just call me mum, come out the front, give us a hand, bang the starter motor while I crank it over, and she's like, what are you doing? Like, you just... What's this piece you, of yeah, shit? Yeah, you just brought this car, and you can't even start it. Oh, and then, like, I've... We've got it started and it's fogging up because it's getting heated in there, starting to rain. Go to put the window down so I can see. Window falls off the runner, falls into the door, and I'm like, what have I done? And then, yeah, brought it into the yard, and that was kind of it. That was the first and last time I'd driven it until probably a couple of weeks ago where I actually got to take it for a squirt, which was good. Yeah, well, what was – so let's, let's look at – you've just dragged it. You've dragged it inside and went, right, this thing's a bit of a basket case. Probably need to do some work on it. Um, tell me tell me at that stage, eight years ago, what, what was in your head that you were thinking you were going to do? All right. So it had a little bit of rust as they do. Nothing crazy. It was pretty good apart from the inner rockers had a little bit, a little bit in the rear cab supports. So the first thing I did was just jumped on the net, um, order some replacement panels and i'm like i'll get the rust sorted um i ordered some suspension and steering parts so everything was tight and i was pretty much like throw some new tires on it this thing should have no dramas really getting registered everything's going to be tight in the front so on and so forth and then i'm like well i'm gonna have to take the bags out to get it passed get it back so it's legal Put the springs that he'd given me in it and the thing i reckon i could fit two heads in between the wheel and the arch and i'm like well i'm not driving this thing around <laughs> i'm not even going to bother lowering it it's it's getting pulled apart and that was kind of it it just <laughs> snowboard from there i was looking at the time to try and um sort out some porter built gear i guess Going back eight years ago, no one, well, that I knew of, had really dealt with Portobello gear. So I was messaging Nate and emailing him and asking him, like, you know, prices on everything, what it was, what gauge steel they used, and stuff like that, to try and get in talks with an engineer to see kind of where I stood if I was to fork out all this coin that was going to be um, user friendly, so to speak. Like, all the hard work was done. It's pretty much unbolt this, chuck this in, kind of off you go. Um, and then there was another avenue I was going to go was just to chuck it on another chassis, which is pretty common. And I even brought another chassis, just a bare set of rails out of, I think it was a HQ, done some measuring, and I'm like, fuck, these chassis are pretty wide <laughs> to go under this thing. Marked it out on the cab where I was going to have to cut and so on and so forth. Um, would have had to flip the mounts to the inside and it was seemed like it was going to be more headache than what it was going to be worth. And then obviously it's not the original chassis and, you know, they get registered in New South Wales and other states as what they're being put onto. So it would obviously be 
registers as a Holden Montana, so on and so forth. So then I kind of started looking down the avenue of sending it to shops, um, sent a couple of emails out, and then just was waiting for hits back to see what I was going to be looking at and so on and so forth. And at that kind of stage, I just started tearing it down, took the tray off, took the cab off, took the engine out, checked out what engine was in it because at this stage I wasn't sure what I was going to do with the engine he sold it to me as a 350 but once I got the numbers off it and broke it down um, worked out it was only a 307 but no big deal I thought might as well throw it in the bin anyway <laughs> and that was kind of where I was at at that stage just bare set of rails waiting for an email back to um, see where it was going to head off and did you did you have a decent like workshop or garage space to be doing all this or was this a bit of a kind of jam it all in the backyard uh, Tetris maneuver? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a bit of Tetris. Um, we did have a double garage, but I still had that Rodeo in one side and shit in the other and it was an old double garage, but it only had one roller door. So to get anything into the second side was a nightmare so everything was pretty much just done outside on a fair decent hill of a driveway um and then i used to drag the chassis around the backyard by hooking up a little bit of a sling pulley set up and towed around my mum's pulsar that she had at the time because <laughs> <laughs> mind you i'm at the age where all my mates are out getting drunk every weekend so trying to get another set of hands was <laughs> pretty hard it was just me, mum, and then whatever we could make do around the yard. Yeah, cool. And so you eventually you found a garage that was prepared to have a look at it? Yeah. I um, ended up getting into talks with Jace up at Twisted, um, who'd been building stuff for God knows how long. And I ended up, yeah, talking to him and then threw the rails on the car trailer and towed it up there and told him kind of, what I sort of wanted to build at the time, um, which was, it was always going to be a daily driver. <laughs> well, that was the plan back then. Um, I was just undecided still whether to keep it on the original chassis or to do the swap. And then obviously if I wanted to do it static or airbag it, and obviously when you airbag it, it comes all the other stuff you need to buy air gear controllers. There's a lot more fab work involved. But Jason sold me that, um, mate, the only difference between the static and the bag is the air gear. That's the only difference in <laughs> you're going to pay. And you know what? I was like, really? I was young. I was like, you sold me. Let's airbag it. <laughs> Super simple. <laughs> and so it had been bagged previously. So had, had the chassis been notched at that stage or or what was the situation with the us bagging on it was it it wasn't laying frame at that stage no nah, it was um just had bags in the front just in the arms took the springs out through the bags in um I don't, they didn't even they didn't cut lower arms or anything like that it was pretty much take the spring out put the bag in um and when it was aired out it was just squashing the sway bar like it was it was a mess in the front in the rear it had like a trailing arm, so coil over the arm, and they pretty much did the same thing there. They just put a bag in where the coil was, had an air tank 
uh, one compressor and just two toggle switches in the cab with one gauge. So it wasn't even like individual sides. It was like up or down. Yeah. Just hope you got your airlines cut the same length so it goes up evenly. <laughs> well, you don't have anyone heavier in the other side. You're pretty, pretty lucky in those later trucks that they've got those trailing arms with the spring perches. Like they're pretty much almost built for bagging. Like they've, it's a pretty good setup in those trucks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's a good DIY at home for a for yeah. a beginner kind of thing. But that's like not user friendly. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, I had a bit of a look. Like obviously doing a bit of a stalk on your on your Instagram. So yeah, Jace has done a really neat um, triangulated four link setup in there and, you know, notch the chassis rails and everything. And how how long was that, you know, dropping the chassis rails off to I guess getting getting that back relatively set up is you know, is that a six month, twelve month what you know, a lot of people don't really understand how long some of this stuff takes, but what, what was the timeline on that? Oh, <laughs> I could probably only give you a rough timeline. I've, I've kind of built it in sections. I'm not rich and I can't just have 200 grand in the bank and just drop it off somewhere and said, go for gold. So uh, at the start, Jason was really good. Or well, the whole way through, Jason has been really good. But I'd tell him we'd do it in sections. So I'd drop it off. And so initially when I dropped it off, um, I think we... Put the falling, notched it, capped the chassis. Um, we might have even put the Jag front end into it, so it was pretty much a roller. And I think I would have had he would have had that done like in about four weeks, I'd say, which I thought was pretty good. Like it's there was a fair bit involved, obviously making sure everything was straight and aligned in the front end, and it was. I think he hadn't done many or done any C10s. They've done heaps of FEs. Like they were pretty common and still are, I guess. But the Chev side of it, he it was only kind of new. But, I mean, Jace has worked on chassis, so a chassis is a chassis to him. But I guess I mentioned to him as well, I know, like, obviously he would have set it up like that. But usually when you um, get those things down in the front, the wheels are never really dead true in the in those guards i noticed so i just that was like a thing that i just mentioned like let's make sure this front end is dead center and he'd done a good job and it came back as a rolling rolling chassis and i was stoked and then came home sat for a bit and then it's done numerous stints up there and jace has squeezed me in when he's had a gap and i've had, came up with the coin which has been good but it's just unfortunately been a drag that process and <laughs> that's why sometimes people will be like that thing for sale again it's just, it just gets a bit overwhelming and I'm just like oh I just want to bail out of this <laughs> cash out and, cash out and then um, you know buy someone else's headache and start again and <laughs> yeah yeah it's um, it's a big job that's for sure and and just for guys who are listening um, so when you're talking about centering your front end um, a lot of people may not realise but a lot of these old trucks when they're in a pretty stock form, when you look at them from the side, the wheels don't necessarily sit center of the guard where, you know, your eyes think they should be, you know, quite often they're a little bit forward or a little bit back. And, you know, I know with these early, earlier pickups, like the back wheel actually sits a little bit further back than, than where you think it should. And 
and especially when you go and um, and lower them, you know, it, it's more obvious that they're not in the right spot. So that's what I'm assuming you're talking about is just getting that jag front end located in the chassis so that your wheels sit dead center in your guard. Yeah, that's right. Like you said, sometimes they're forward, sometimes they're back. And when the guard's not so close to the wheel or the wheel's not up in the guard, like you said, it's it's not – the average Joe player wouldn't notice it. But for people that are building trucks or cars or got that, that eye for it, they're going to pick up on it straight away. And when you spend a fair bit of coin and then you stand back and you're like, fuck, that's not right or someone else picks up on it, it's just yeah it looks like it's just been a half job yeah it's um it's funny the rear guards on the early pickup trucks they actually have a brace that's built into them and so there's two rivets so you've literally got two rivets that mark effectively the dead center of the guard and you still see guys i see that on facebook all the time saying oh how do you work out where to put the wheel and i'm like there's two dots right there it's come you know just pretty easy yeah right (laughs) It's not, not too difficult. It's not rocket science. If you can't work that out, you probably shouldn't be having a go at it. Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting. But, I mean, there's a lot of things that you don't – it's funny when you first start looking at a model of a truck, for instance, and you don't – like I never noticed very early on because I, I love this early body shape. And then you started getting into the, the early to mid-60s vehicles and I sort of looked at them and went, they started growing on me and I was like, yeah, they're, they're cool. I like those chevs. And then I didn't realize that the 60 to 63 kind of shape had that, what they call the knee knocker door where the windscreen dog legs in and so the door's got to step in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get to 64 and it just becomes a smooth door triangle and they got rid of that. And I remember not even noticing that. Um, I think it wasn't until I interviewed Rachel Derb derbage on the uh, podcast and she was talking about it and i was like what are you even talking about and then i had a look at it and i was like oh my god how have i never noticed that before and and i think that's a classic thing that if you if it's something that you're not looking at a lot you know say you're a chef guy you're not looking at a ford a lot you might not notice a certain thing and yeah and as you say what i think that's a, almost a bad thing when you look too closely and you know too much because i'll often go to a car show and i'll look at something else and go oh you know, it's his truck and I love that he's built it the way he wants it, but he's got, you know, they're, they're F100 guards and he's put them on a Chev truck. And in my brain, it does not compute, but what, who cares? If he's happy, it's a it's a good-looking truck. But, yeah, there's a million little details that the closer you look at something, the more and more you pick up on them, whereas if you saw it from 10 metres away walking through a car show, you just go, oh, that's a cool-looking truck, you know. But... um you know as well as I do, and and I think a lot of people listening, when you're actually physically spending six, seven, eight hours in a day on one small part of your build, like you're micromanaging every square millimeter of a vehicle, and you just you get to a point where you can just see everything, or well, you already know the problem before you found it, and uh, yeah, it can it can play with your brain a bit. Can't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, funny you mentioned that. Um. I had a mate come around because he's always like, what are you up to? It's the same old in the shed. It's like, oh, I'll pop around. He came around and I was doing brake lines and I don't know how many times I bent these set of brake lines around the front and up to the master cylinder. And for someone that's not really into cars, they look at them and go, yeah, that that's fine. And I'm just like, you're kidding me, right? I'm not putting that like that on the truck. And he's like, 
no one's going to notice it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to know. Like, we're, we're re-bending them. Even if it takes me two days, until I'm happy, they're going to keep getting re-bent. Yeah, it's, it's the amount of times you see a chassis and it's an absolute work of art and, and you just know how many hours have gone into it and then you put a body on it and then you can never see it again. And it's like, why do we do that? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense really. But yeah, it's... um. It's you, you get pedantic, and I, I think it's if you don't follow. I don't know some people are detail orientated, and I know that I am, and, and I am a carpenter by trade, so that's something that I remember doing my apprenticeship. We were framing up a house roof, and you know, it's literally this corner section of a roof where it's going to get battens and tin over it, and no one will ever see it. And I just, I had you know, I'd done it pretty, I was a first year apprentice, and and my boss came around and he's like, "What? what's that? That's not right. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's only a few mil out and the battens will fix it. And he was like, nah, take it out, do it again. And I, I remember just not being able to understand why we were doing that. But the more and more you get down the line, and especially, you know, in building when you're framing a wall, if you don't get that dead right, then you're making the plasterer's job harder. Yeah, yeah. It makes the painter's job harder. and. And I mean, that, I think that relates to all things and, and yeah, especially small details with a vehicle, like it might, it might not seem that important, but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was in NZ yesterday looking at airline fittings and, um, and, you know, solid air airlines and, and he was showing me the, um, the straightener tool for the airline Yeah, and I was like, got to buy one of those, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it, it's, it's crazy how it, um, yeah, it becomes important even though the simple stuff. The reality is, you could probably just run the old, um, run the hidden airline in the chassis, and it could just be the um, the cheap soft lines. But you you just don't do. Oh, <laughs> I've just gone with um, the old plastic lines though, with the push fittings, which is yeah. Well, it's easy. It's a, it is easy, but now I'm getting grief. Truck hasn't even been on the road, and the old valve block um, wants to leak. But only when it wants yep. in the push fitting, and they're not like the style where you can unscrew the fitting out of the block. It's oh, I had a quick suss on the net. You got to um, pretty much destroy them, and then they're a press fitting. So it's just it's got a mind of its own. It was out there on jack stands for like three days. Fine, went out the next day, dead flat in the right front, and I'm like, nothing's changed out here. How, how can you go on flat now? So yeah. Sometimes you wish you just had that hard line and once it's sealed, it's sealed. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We've I've been looking at, you know, even like looking on um, Pinterest, which was something that I haven't used in years. I got on Pinterest the other day to look at some photos. I was like, oh my God, is this still a thing? But um, yeah, looking at just different ways guys have set up the, um, the tank and the compressors, you know, in the boot, you know, doing something a little bit nice and neat and, um, yeah, and I'm looking at all these valve blocks and I'm like, you know, they got airlines going everywhere. You know, we've got the modern tank where it's all inbuilt. So it's kind of just a couple of airlines out the end and that's it. So it's, it's been interesting seeing the difference of, yeah, those, what are they, VU4 or whatever the valve blocks are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, another whole world. So did you get it sorted out? Um, nah. <laughs> it's, it's, um... Oh, I spoke to Dave down at um, Air Ride and he's like, oh yeah, you can send it down to us and we'll um, change them out for you if you want. But 
because I was planning on to go for another engineer report, I was like, we'll just get it sorted um, once I've got a bit of time. I don't want to cut it too close and then, you know, it goes missing in the post and it's meant to go for a engineer's inspection and it's stuck here on the floor. So I said, once um, we get that sorted, I'll send it down and you can give her a birthday. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk a bit about what you've done. So you've got a LS1 with a 4L6E. Correct. Um, so did you source that directly out of a Commodore or Statesman or something? Or was that from a, a yard? How did you get hold of that? Yeah, no, I was just on um, Facebook Marketplace. These people were scrapping or not scrapping, you could say stripping it out and selling parts and um, went around there and had a look at it and it was running and, you know, it was still wired up so it had the Ks on it and it was running. The only thing was they'd already sold the gearbox from behind it so I said, I'll take the engine and um, don't worry about the gearbox, I'll sort something out. A couple of weeks later, they brought another one so I ended up getting the box out of that. So they pretty much stripped what they want at the time and then got the shell dropped off at mine with the engine in it and then I could kind of take whatever harness I needed and if I needed any other accessories and stuff like that. Some little things that I took out, like cut out of the firewall and stuff would be like where the steering column comes through, like that mount, and just little things like that that I wasn't sure if I was going to end up using. But I'm like, you know what, I've got it here now, cut it out. And if I happen to use that column, it would be a lot easier to have this piece here than trying to go to a wreckers and try and, digging to cut one out and that was yeah pulled the engine out caught up the scrap yard they came in picked the shell up and off it went yeah and did you did you do the wiring loom yourself or did you get someone to do like a standalone setup on it or what have you done there yeah no it's another thing i just looked around the net see who was doing them um send it up to i think it was ultimate wiring conversions just drop your um harness off to them the ecu and then they do pretty much standalone. It comes back pretty much plug and play. There's a couple of mains that you've got to wire in, but it was it all came with instructions and stuff like that, um, which was helpful. I ended up getting a sparky towards the back end anyway to come and do all the wiring. Um, yeah. So it was, it was easy for him and obviously a bit cheaper for me because it was plug and play really. He didn't have to work it all out if he'd never done a LS conversion before. Yeah, yeah, and you've done a right-hand drive conversion on it, and obviously, I'm assuming that the Jag front end you put in was a an Aussie right-hand drive, so that made the steering set up pretty straightforward. But um, you know, apart from that, it's just cut the dash and, and swap a few things around. That that was always your plan. The plan was to keep it left hook, like everyone says. I oh, keep it original. Um, the problem is getting a left-hand rack. Jace had one, um, but he'd already kind of agreed to sell it or give it to someone else. So I was like a bit late to the party with that. And then I had another guy down home that was like, oh, I've got a left-hand rack if you need it. And I'm like, are you sure it's a left-hand rack? Like people don't just have left-hand racks laying around for a jack, <laughs> especially here. Anyway, yeah. he's like, no, nah, 100%. Anyway, went down there, picked it up off him brought it home, set it next to my rack, and I'm like, dude, this is the exact same rack as mine. It's not a left-hand rack. So the whole keeping it left um, hook was out the window. But now that I come to think of it, 
I don't know, Australian roads and keep it on right-hand drive. It's makes things easier, I guess, pulling out from the right side of the chair when you're pulling away from a curb and stuff like that. It kind of minimises any blind sides and stuff. I mean, it would have been nice to keep it left hook and to always, because they've got such that big glass rear window, the thing hovering on the ground and looking from behind is a good um good view of just the one head on the left-hand side, but yeah, <laughs> practicality isn't <laughs> isn't probably worth it. Yeah, and um, the fact that it's a long bed. I mean, you you talked about one that you'd seen at shows early in the piece that was a maroon long bed that you really liked, and and was that something you went searching for that you wanted a long bed, or you were just after that, you know, that sixty-seven to seventy-two style, and and that's what you ended up with. Yeah, I'd probably say that's kind of just where it ended up. I wasn't too set on anything, just wanted something kind of full size. And at the time, there wasn't many around. Like I said, that was the only one that I really knew that was getting built or had been built. Um, Yeah, so I fell in love with that shape. And being Chevy, and I kind of just, once this popped up, I was like, oh, yeah, got to get it home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, The other thing I saw that was pretty... Well, not unique because I think there's plenty of guys doing it now, but you've got the Porterbilt hood hinge um, set up on there. How have you found that little conversion? Because I, I think they're a pretty good-looking bit of kit. Yeah, that was one of the things that obviously once you start chopping into those front guards, you lose um, where the original hood hinges pick up from and not just that, like you end up pushing the hood hinge through the bonnet once it, <laughs> once it airs out. So that was one of the things that I chased up and brought from Nate over there at Porterbilt. But yeah, it seemed like it was pretty user-friendly to put in. I mean, Jace put that in when it was up there. The only thing I find is it's... it's I'll run a double strut on each side, which was an option. I'm not sure if I'm going to end up taking that off. It just seems like the struts are so strong to hold that bonnet up that when you come to pull down on the bonnet, there's so much flex through that um, firewall cowling kind of section. I mentioned somewhere before about it and people said, oh, your bolts aren't tight and stuff like that. And I'm like, the, the bolts are definitely tight. <laughs> it's just a massive <laughs> leverage system back through that hood hinge. But I mean, how often are you going to open it up? Probably just take the old um, struts off and just jam a broomstick <laughs> to hold the bonnet <laughs> up. But it, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm probably not going to be opening the bonnet anyway very often. I mean, it's an LS and... It shouldn't give me any dramas, touch wood. Spoken like a true mechanic. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, cool. So it sounds like your Instagram's um, not very up to date because I think the last picture you've posted on there, you, you just had a painted chassis that you started to put back together and it seems like you talked about you took it for a drive. So where, where's the truck at at the moment? Like what's it's, is it? You know, you sound like you're, you're about to send it off for an engineer's report and, and not far off Rego. Is that sort of where you're at now? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, that Instagram page that I've made is not very old. I've always just had a personal one and then I follow a lot of people and I didn't have too much of my truck on my personal one. So I'm like, oh, I should probably just get it out there and let people see what's been happening. Um, like I said, when I started, there wasn't many around and now more and more are coming out of the woodwork. It's like, fuck, jumping on the bandwagon and copying everyone by the looks of it. But um, 
Yeah, I was trying, once I started the page, every Saturday I'd upload a photo and I was flicking, flicking through my phone and trying to keep it into how the build was occurring. And, you know, over eight years, you change a lot of phones and <laughs> the photos are kind of everywhere. So I'd be like, oh, that's about right. And I'd flick that photo up and then the next week it would come around and I'd be looking through and I'd be like, oh, this photo's older. So it is a bit bit behind on that. But as far as the truck goes, um, it had its first inspection Oh, back in probably April, I'd say, had a list um, given to me of things that it needed. Most of the things I was already aware of, but I just thought I'd get a look over it to see while I'm knuckling down on it, if I am heading in the right direction and what I need to be ticking off, as so to speak. And I've just been chipping away at that stuff. So like, yeah, it's it's not far off going back there. I've just It's all the little nitty gritty stuff, like... Obviously, the further into the build you get, the less room that you get <laughs> everywhere. So I don't know how many times I've relocated something or remounted something or cut-wise and rewired it to be routed a different way. But yeah, the other week, um, I did. I got it started and like it steers and I was just trying to get a cooler. Before I actually got on the ground, I wanted to get the trans cooler plumbed in. But it was just where I was going to route it and stuff around the line. So I got that sorted. And then, yeah, I put it on the deck and I took it for a quick squirt around the around the block. And it was, yeah, it was definitely small from ear to ear. But it was in the saying that it was definitely different as well. <laughs> I mean, not ever driving it really and then not expecting what it's going to drive like, so to speak. I mean, it's there's nothing that hasn't been touched on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a cool thing about it all. What what have you done the way of shocks? Because that's something that I'm still trying to get my head around. You know what exact shocks we're going to use? I think I'm going to end up using some Viking shocks because um, they're quite adjustable. But what what have you guys ended up using in in your truck? So on the rear, I'm not sure if they're like just a standard say Rodeo rear shock where it's just got a perch that comes off under the diff and then off the um, bridge of the notch there where it picks up off. So they're just like a pretty standard kind of um, shock absorber, so to speak. And in the front, I'm not 100% sure on what brand is such, but they're only a really short um, stroke shock with like, they're solid. <laughs> like you can't push them in by hand. And I think he's he runs those in the front just so you don't get, I know a lot of, um, airbag things or from previous experience they're real floaty that's one of the things that i was kind of steering away from getting a bag truck i mean like it's cool as when you can air it out and it's low as ever but i wasn't a big fan of that yeah the whole boaty floaty <laughs> feel that you get but i mean if it's set up right and yeah they've been used yeah, before and, and i honestly think that that's where airbag vehicles have got their bad bad rap with people you know like a lot of guys have you hear people say oh you know i'd never drive one they don't handle blah 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 and i and i think that that is the number one thing is that you know it's it's like having real soft springs in a four-wheel drive and, and no sway bar you know you're just going to be rolling all over the place so um when you do put good quality shocks in and you can adjust your your rebound and all that sort of stuff and and get them to handle on the road right um you know i think they're as good as anything you know whether it's a leaf or a, 
a coil or an air spring, you know, it's about putting the whole package together. And I, I think that the shocks is often one of those things that is kind of left a little bit by the wayside or just, the, you know, whatever cheap shit fits in there ends up in there. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's one of the big things for me that, you know, especially with Suburban Build, it's going to be a, a full family, you know, going to shows and, and cruising on the highway, at, you know, at 110. So you want to know that everything's handling really well and, you know, you don't want to be, like you say, just driving that sort of speedboat kind of feel around. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, it is one of those things that, I mean, they're so cheap for a shock and they're just unthought of when you're building it. But I guess the whole airbagging setup isn't probably as easy as what, joe blow thinks it is um it's not about just cutting and shutting and throwing a bag in there and it lays i mean it you're changing all the geometry and all the angles and you know it comes down to the actual bag pressure as well plays a big part obviously if the bag's like a rock to give you any lift it's gonna be bouncy as hell but obviously if you've got a soft with no pressure it's gonna ride like a boat so i think there's a lot more to setting them up than and I think it's initially at the start as well. It's not just about having it air out and it's not about having its full lift. It's about working out what your desired ride height's going to be and then yeah. working from there. All right, we want this pressure. This is where it's going to sit at this pressure. This is where the bag's most happy. But I think most of us that don't do it for a living, I just want to see it laying on the on the deck. We're not, we kind of sacrifice how it drives. But I mean, if it can do both, drive well and lay on the deck it's a win-win yeah because i mean you might scratch it around a car park a few times if that's what you're into but you're nah. never really driving it laid out you know like you want it to sit at 100 mil off the ground so you can you know, practical drive through potholes in australia uh, yeah classic definitely and that's like the other thing as well like now that i think of it if i was to do it again i, I probably wouldn't bag it I see a lot of things that are static and they look good. I mean, because they're such a wide, long truck or piece of metal coming down the road, they already look like they're super low. But I mean, when they're, you're standing next to it, it's never low enough. <laughs> like, my, we dropped the cab down when we did mine, so the pinch sat on the floor with the rail. But now that my chassis are all capped in that, I end up running... Um, fuel lines and power cables on top of the rail so between the cab but because we dropped it down it was pretty tight there and like i'm like i'm gonna have to lift this up if i want to keep running this on top of there and it's going to be protected and so on and so forth but i'm like how far am i gonna have to lift it up eight mil ten mil and i'm like now i'm thinking to myself dude it's 10 mil you're not gonna notice 10 mil difference when it's aired out like you're busting your balls and giving yourself a headache tossing and turning how you can reroute this so you don't have to lift it up that 10 mil but like so you're not gonna i like, air it out now and you wouldn't even picture the difference well everyone will now because i've told them <laughs> you've got to make sure you park in the long grass yeah <laughs> uh, no, that's crazy cool. cool well um oh that's awesome man it's um sounds like you're nearing the end of a, oh. Quite a long mission, really. Oh, the never-ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and so, do you have a, do you have a show that you're aiming at? You know, are you trying to get, or is this just like you, 
you're way past all that, and it's just whenever it's oh, ready, it's ready. I've I've kind of come to the um conclusion that don't set deadlines now because every time I see him set one, it never works out. Like us, I, I wanted to drag it up on a trailer to that that meet that you had all organised in Sydney. I ended up going along to it anyway, and it was a good day. But I really wanted to just drag it up there on the trailer. I'm not a big fan of trailer stuff, but just to give me that little bit more motivation, people would see it and be like, dude, that thing's so cool. Kind of just to put a bit more gas in the engine to get it over the line, but obviously didn't get it up there. And I've been watching on Facebook all these different things that are popping up that I wouldn't mind getting it to. But (laughs) at this stage, I'm not saying where it's going to make its first appearance because no more like it's it won't get there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i hear you. it's um and it's funny too with the long build like i i know with, with my my truck with the big our color julies on it and everything like that um you know i don't know how long that build's been sort of going for now it's been three or four years at least and and when i started building that <clears throat> um there's a guy in america that built a truck very similar and and i'd like when I started my truck, I'd never seen his truck and it wasn't until about a year into my build that his build sort of started hitting social media and then because he, he's a proper fab shop, he got his finished and it was out in the road and all this stuff. And then now when I post pictures of mine, I get all these comments. <laughs> and going, oh, I think, oh, he's copying this truck and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay, it looks the same. I'm, I don't, I don't. I don't comment, but I'm like, I started mine first, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it's taken so long. I guess that doesn't, doesn't it? Yeah. So tell me about your door art because you've got the Texaco um, door art on there. Is that an old Texaco truck, or is that something that someone in the states did a long time ago? Do you know anything about I, the history? No, nah, unfortunately not. I mean, it looks like it's been on there for a while because it's it's mm. it's almost gone and it's. It's very chalky when I touch it and I try to avoid touching it <laughs> yeah. because it, it kind of makes the truck. I mean, it looks cool, but yeah, as far as history goes, I wouldn't have a clue. I'd only just found the other day when I was flicking through some paperwork that um the old retro papers, it was from California. So that's about all that I can tell you <laughs> about the truck. Yeah. yeah. As far as no, it, it looks cool. It, I like it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I know Josh with the Suburban, um, you can probably see it from here. But see, the main body looks a lot brighter, and then that front guard is yeah, yeah, yeah. quite chalky. Yeah. yeah. So he he spent a whole day mixing up a couple of different oh. batches of you know the linseed oil and the spirits, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did some we did some test patches on some old um on some old shit that I've got laying around here, and yeah, so he ended up hitting quite a bit of the vehicle, and and I was just amazed at actually how well just rubbing that straight on over the old chalky paint it just cleaned it up and it popped and it it's really done a really cool job of it it's it's not super shiny it's got that sort of nice matte matteness to it but um yeah like you can even from where we're sitting on yeah yeah, yeah. See, so um, what did he end yeah, up the difference what did he end up using because that's just a thing like i didn't want to touch the way that it looks because i i'm never a fan of that really shiny like it's yeah, been no. cleared I, Gloss, it, yeah. yeah it wrecks it so but now it's getting to the point where like i'm going out the so I, now that I kind of live near the water, it's on the back of my mind, like, yeah, it's been like that for 50 years, but if I can kind of preserve it, and it's only been the last couple of days I've actually been looking, and it's got like that boiled linseed oil, then you've got that poppy's patina stuff, and you've got that other stuff you can buy from Bunnings, which I'm pretty sure is just like a 
concoction of <laughs> the oh, penetrol. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Some people yeah. say that stuff goes yellow when it gets older. Oh, and I'm just like, fuck, what am I going to do? Now you've mentioned that. That's perfect. What are your thoughts on the whole <laughs> coating? I, well, I, so I'm I'm actually a metal a metal artist now, so I do um, sculpture work and um, fire pits and shit like that. So a lot of my old rusty signs and stuff, we hit that just with straight penetrol. Um, does a pretty good job, but I I do know that over a period of time it can get flaky and needs recoated. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I would go straight penetrol on a vehicle. Josh, what he came up with for this, I think, was pretty much. I don't know what. I don't know what his sort of um, ratio <laughs> ratio was, but yeah, uh, he just got boiled boiled linseed oil and mineral spirits. I think he used. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks it looks really good. He actually did the door of my Land Cruiser, my daily, um, which is it's green and it's got a bright yellow door because it's just a, it's just a work truck and. Um, it's quite recognisable around town because it's different coloured panels. But yeah, he, I said to him, I said, "Oh, why are you doing it? Just hit my door, and then it's out in the sun every day, and we can see how it holds up over a period of time." So, but um, yeah, his so on Instagram, he's at JMC fifty seven. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, hit him up and um, shoot him a message and yeah, we'll see do. what ratio he used because he did make sure he wrote it all down because we did. A whole bunch of different test pieces on some old um, F100 guards I've got, I've got laying around the yard, um, which have been chopped up not by me, but um, <laughs> some the guy the guy I bought a cab off. He cut the whole front end off as like a wall hanger yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. So so I've got the back half of the guards of this um, this 51 Ford truck, and they were really good. We just we taped up two different, oh, like four sections, and he tried all the different um, finishes on there, and it was cool to see the differences. It was a bit of fun, but um, yeah, it, it definitely cleans it up and gets rid of that chalkiness. So, and yours is pretty much the same color, right? Yeah, you could almost say it is. It's probably like a little bit more of a green, but yeah, very similar. Oh, cool, man. Well, you'll have to send me, um, you have to send me some updated pics so we can um, post them up with the episode. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to um, yeah get it up and and yeah, and then hopefully see you with some rego. You going full rego or are you going historic? <laughs> That's another thing. Like I've had this time off work, and it's just the brain's just been ticking between the linseed and the regos. Do you go full rego? Obviously, it's not going to be a daily driver anymore. So I'm I'm still undecided. I mean, in New South Wales, you get a pretty decent run being on like a club rego you just got this logbook system yeah i think you're the same. yeah you put the date in and gives you so many days you can pretty much drive one day a weekend every weekend for the year so to speak you know some weekends you might drive and next weekend you might drive both and i guess it kind of balances out but we'll cross that path when we get there i reckon first things <laughs> get it engineered and get ticked off yeah and then, was, it, was there anything that you were a little bit surprised by in in, in your list from the engineer? No, nah, not really. Like I was, like I've, you know, been reading and speaking for a decent amount of time. So I kind of knew what I was in for, but I just needed that reassurance that we definitely were on the right track. And I mean, that was the other thing about taking it to a shop is, you know, they work with engineers and they know what they expect. And 
obviously the engineer knows the quality of work that they do. So we we were on track with what needed to be done. And was that effectively how you ended up with that engineer because that's who Jace uses or was that someone you already had lined up? Yeah, no, it was pretty much who um, Jace uses. I just kind of left the ball in his court. And then, yeah, we'll just play it by ear and see what we had to get done at the end of the line. And now we're there. It's, yeah, tick them off and then take it back and go for the big day of testing and hopefully it passes and then I'll be able to cruise it around and cruise the East Coast and travel and get all the shows. That was That's the plan anyway. So I've seen that Aubrey thing that they've popped up. I wouldn't mind getting to that. And that's probably a decent amount of time to give me to get there as well as far as yeah, that's the, getting it over the, the chop, chopped and chopped something yeah yeah I've seen it pop up the other day so but I'm sure there'll be plenty between now and then yeah absolutely and um, so so let's um, let's put a couple of questions out there so we've got guy there's a guy um, sitting in his car right now driving to work and he's listening to us on the podcast and hopefully he hasn't fallen asleep and crashed um <laughs> But you know he's thinking about buying a truck. He's you know he really he's you eight years ago, right? So he wants to buy something. You know what's the advice? Do you, does he do you say just buy one that's already finished, mate, and don't don't deal with it, or do you say yep, buy one and build it? It's, it's worth the the heartache and the eight years of pain. Like, what's your advice to oh. someone who's thinking about this? <laughs> Depends. Do you, want, do you want the truth or do you want? Yeah, yeah, you want new new builds to follow? No, no, no. I I, um, I I think that what we really want to get across is reality. You know, like yes, it costs more than you think it's gonna. Yes, it takes longer than you think it's gonna, and blah blah blah. But you know, what what's the reality? Like, where are you at? I'd personally, if I had the money and I was in the look for something. I mean, now that prices are going through the roof, but I'd probably just keep money in my pocket, search for something that you really set on and it's around what you want to build and then just give it those touches to make it your so to speak or what you're exactly unhappy with i mean it all sounds well and good jumping in from the start and making it exactly how you want but at the end of the day you just want something cool to cruise well that's what i think now after slugging away for eight years and you know people probably jump on like i said my instagram like oh dude you've had so much progress i'm like every week there's like a good photo of progress going up but i'm just like that's in my little eight-year kitty of photos that if only you knew how many hours had gone into this so i reckon if i could do it again i'd just buy something neat that's done and don't go over the top because it is overwhelming it becomes a long drawn-out process a lot of money time I mean, depends how old you are. You, you need someone that's supportive, a good wife, a good partner. Um, otherwise, you know, you're probably going to lose all that just to build a truck that in harsh reality, you're probably not going to end up finishing it. Especially this day and age, like the price of living and stuff like that, as you know, and fuel and all that, it's just you're always slaving at work and any free time you get also, you don't want to be in the sheds. Like, don't get me wrong, it is good and it's rewarding but dude get a truck buy it today drive it tomorrow cruise the wheels off it and just tinker as you go that'd be my advice yeah 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 it's um i i get people message me quite a lot um 
tell them to message me. I'll, I'll put them on the, <laughs> I'll put them on the track. Unless they want to buy a yeah. truck that's ninety five percent complete, <laughs> yeah, shoot, shoot me a DM and <laughs> you can finish it off. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's it's everyone. The reality is everyone has a different skill set. Um, you know, like I I know guys who like oh, I really want to build something, but I don't have a shed. It's like all right, well don't try and build something because there's no way you can like it's impossible and and if you're just gonna drop it off at a builder and and then pick it up when it's finished you know similar to what we're doing with the suburban um you know that that's fine but you you've got to know that there's a dollar value that's involved in that and you know obviously building it yourself is a bit cheaper but doing a half decent build um you know you, you still spend 60 grand on parts it's not hard to do so um, you know, you just look at the cost of windows and rubbers and Bailey channel and door locks and all the things you don't even think about when you're first thinking about a build. So, no, that's good advice, I think. You know, like if I know with my truck, if, if I had my my start over again, um, you know, it would be nice just to buy something that's, that's already finished and on the road. But unfortunately for me, what I want to do with my vehicle when it's finished, they're not. there's not many on the road that can do that you know i want a decent towing capacity and um and all that sort of stuff so i'm building a truck that's going to be more of a truck but if if i just wanted a short wheelbase pickup um, with an ls in it i think i'd just go buy one because you know you you see them for sale on marketplace on the daily for 45 grand like you cannot build a truck for 45 <laughs> grand There's no way on earth no nah. like it'll cost you 20 grand to buy the truck just before you start doing it yeah yeah, yeah. cost you 45 in just labor yeah yeah so but i think that's awesome that's yeah what's that i think the other thing as well which you kind of get dragged into building something is the upfront funds i mean if you can buy like a project for say 20 grand i mean you've probably got that money and then you've got the car that you want and then it's a matter of just throwing money into it but i mean unless you've got tons and tons of fun fun sorry <laughs> it will be a lot of fun but um it becomes a dragged out process and then like i said it becomes overwhelming but i mean for some young guy that loves trucks to come up with say 50 60 grand is hard but trust me just keep saving those pennies man nothing comes easy save up and then get something that you love absolutely yeah there's um there's a hundred ways to skin a cat is that a saying <laughs> yeah something like that more than one but, way to skin um, a cat yeah that's right yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but um good to chat uh awesome to hear the story um you know I, I think you know as much as everything we've just said in the last five minutes like, <laughs> the day that you've got rego and you're driving down the road and you're at the first car show and and someone comes up and asks you about it you know like you built it and and you you know you can talk about how the brake line's perfectly straight or, or whatever it is, you know, you've got that, um, you've got that sense of achievement. Yeah, you, yeah. you have done it. And um, I don't think it's something that, I think if you did sell it, you'd really regret it. So I'm stoked that you've still got it. Um, so if guys want to check out your Instagram, uh, you're at 68C10. And the, uh, the 68 is the words, not the numbers. Yeah, correct. Um, so they can check you out there and... Uh, give us a follow and yeah, got any questions. Another, another five years and the Instagram will be caught up to the build. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
um yeah absolutely um yeah if anyone wants to get any advice from daniel just hit him up and he'll be quite happy to let you know what he reckons but uh no that's cool man there's there's um there's some really cool 68 to 72s in the build at the moment and um i'm following quite a lot of them and i'm blown away just by how many trucks are in this country you know like i remember when John O first started that um, pickups down under page and, and I sort of started the podcast, like I, I, I didn't, I don't think I, I realized how many guys like yourself had one in the shed that are on this eight year mission. And, and I think that there's, I don't think, you know, I'm not taking the piss out of you. I don't think that's unusual at all. I think it's a reality for a lot of people is that a build can take 10 years and, and you do it as you can afford it and you know you have some setbacks or or the you know the bathroom needs renovated or the wife wants a deck built and and things just change um priority and then you come back to them and that's certainly my situation with my build and um no it's it's awesome that it's getting pretty close and uh yeah definitely look forward to catching up with you at a truck show one day yeah definitely can't wait <laughs> yeah. probably everyone else as well but um yeah it's good thanks for having me on here finally yeah. got on and give my two bobs worth and play a part in the whole um podcast for you which was good yeah and um now you have to listen to yourself yeah. like I do oh. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah perfect <laughs> hopefully it doesn't sound as bad as what it was live yeah it's all good mate hey um really appreciate time and um yeah we'll catch up with you soon mate thank you perfect thanks mate keep doing what you're doing no cheers mate well that's the show for this week thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.